to encounter a Toni Morrison, to encounter an Octavia Butler, to have a sense of the truths that were being revealed. Mm. Like, oh, you mean there are truths other places? That the Bible is a form of truth, but that truths get experienced and truths can be read and truths can be encountered. It blew my mind and it opened up who God could be. This is Sanctified, the Liddish Church service where hot girls and holiness align. And we are your hosts. I'm Deborah Joy Winans. I'm a wife, a mother, an actor, but most importantly, I'm a lover. And I'm LaVon Briggs, Emmy Award winner, Joy Chaser, and a Queens girl. And when my old church asked me to wear stockings, I bought fishnets. And this is the kind of church that rocks with the Megan the Stallions just as much as the Mahalia Jacksons. On Sanctified, we center the testimonies of sisters who are figuring out their faith authentically. And we're going to ruffle some of the saints' feathers, y'all. But we will always leave you feeling affirmed and loved. You ready, LaVon? Let's go get them. And welcome back to another episode of Sanctified. We are so excited to talk about today's topic. We are going to be talking about what it means to build our own personal theology. Yes, personal girl. (laughs) Now, before the saints cut the podcast off and call us heretics, this episode is not a call to throw away your faith. Rather, y'all, it's an affirmation for those of us who've questioned the things that didn't quite fit. You feel me? Absolutely. Okay, so let's get into theology. What does that actually mean? The definition of theology is the study of the nature of God and religious belief. Theology is religious beliefs and theory when systematically developed. LaVon, what say you? Because you know you went to school and all that. Shirty girl. Okay, so in short, theology is simply God talk. It's talking about God. And I think it's important to note that there's a difference between theology and doctrine or dogma. Mm -hmm. Doctrine is what the church teaches to be true. And it says, this is what we believe. And then the doctrine says, this is how it's lived out. So it forces you to conform. But theology requires you to think and feel. Mm -hmm. It's a very embodied praxis. And I think that's why building a personal theology is so important for Black women. I think it's important for anyone who says they have a belief, because what is that belief and what is it for you? For me, creating a personal theology simply meant I took the foundations of what I have. I love the Lord. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. And that is always going to be my foundation. And I think understanding that, yes, Jesus saved me. What does my walk look like? What does my journey look like? How is God with me in every step of my journey? And that meant I had to create my own relationship with the Lord, independent of what I was taught from my parents or my pastor or being at church. What is my own personal relationship like with the Lord? That was the start of really creating my own God talk. Yes, period. 
you know what, DJ? That's exactly it. It's black women saying, okay, that's real cute what y'all talking about over there, but what feels good to me and my house? Because when I think about my own personal theology, so much of it stemmed from learning about womanist theology when I was in seminary. And Reverend Dr. Jacqueline Grant is the mother of womanist theology. She wrote this seminal text, White Women's Christ and Black Women's Jesus, Feminist Christology and Womanist Response. That's a lot, I know. Christology, so let me back up. So if theology is the study of God, Christology is the study of Christ. So it's even more specific. So when I think about that and I think about how theology, Christology, all the ologies have typically been run by men, for women, Dr. Grant says, nothing short of a shaking of the male universal foundation of theology is required. So for us to get free, we have to literally shake <laughs> the foundation of everything that centers men and maleness and at the same time represses women and femaleness. And so for me, it's been about carving out a belief system that sustains me and not gaslights me. Mm. So today... That specifically gets us to the heart of what we're talking about. Sometimes you have to eat the meat and throw away the bones of traditional theology. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about the bones that you feel like, okay, this was great, but this is not something that I want to bring with me. What does that mean? You know, this is such a great question, DJ, because I feel like there's a thread through all of our episodes. Mm -hmm. Let's say the main course is like, filet mignon, whatever. And that is God is love. We can all get into that. Well, then if God is love and I'm a child of God, then how I experience that love are my side dishes. Now, for some people, it could be sexuality. It could be what ministry looks like. It could be embodiment. I just feel like you got to pick the sides that work for you. Right. So when it comes to the bones that don't work for us, it's anything that doesn't resonate with you. I find that a lot of the teaching we get about God is often based on how other people are experiencing God as opposed to how we are experiencing God. You can't tell me nothing about my walk with God. You can't force me to live my life in the way that you think you're supposed to live your life because I know God for myself. But that only comes from building your own personal theology. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so when I think about our theology, what are we typically taught, DJ? A lot of times we are usually taught that the pastor or the preacher is always right. Child. Instead of really being encouraged to hear this word, but also study for yourself. See what God is saying to you because God's walk with you is going to be different than God's walk with that pastor or the person sitting next to you. Everybody's walk is different. My Bible says, study to show thyself approved, huh? Myself. <laughs> you are encouraged to understand who God is for you. And I think we have forgotten that a lot of times. You know, it's not everywhere, but I do think in a lot of faith spaces, we're more so encouraged to only listen to the preacher instead of understanding that God will talk to you as well. And what is God saying to you? Study. And God knows how to talk to me. God knows what kind of language, song, yes. commercial, something is going to get my attention, right? And so it also makes me think about how I am viewing God 
through our relationship because theology is about relationship. So growing up, I saw God as this white man with white long hair. Oh, Lord, yeah. Jesus had blonde hair and blue eyes. Did you grow up with those same depictions? Absolutely. Jesus was almost clear. I'm like, Jesus needed 1,000 SPF, okay? You know, you can find ways to tie that into where this sort of came from because people consider white to be the pure and the black to be dirty. It's giving anti-blackness. Stop. We're not here for that. We are not. And that's why I am so leery of teachings that are quote unquote biblical or Bible based. When people talk about being a biblical wife and a biblical woman and a God fearing woman, it's like all of this language is fear inducing. And why do we have to fear God? Why are you trying to make me think God is vengeful and out to get me? I just, we got to broaden and expand our concept and understanding of God and God talk. Mm -hmm. Because I didn't understand a lot of that fear-based talk. As I started to live and experience some things, I came to understand that it's not fear, it's a reverence and a respect for who God is and what God has done and, and a gratefulness. I never want to become so familiar that I forget what God has done for me. Mm -hmm. And I think about that even just in life. I remember meeting Oprah and I remember how she treated me so kindly and so like she was my auntie. And it was easy to get so familiar that I forget the reverence and respect that I want to have for her and what she's done in this life and how she has created things that have made us as Black women feel seen and heard and loved. And so for me, when I like really got to college, I understood that the fear was not fear. It was a reverence and a respect. And then also, as I started journeying in life and going through some things where I was like, oh, Jesus, <laughs> I've been taught that that was wrong. And in this moment, I've been taught that I should really fear what you would do. But no, I'm not fearing what you do because I know you love me. Right. And my journey with God as a black woman is different than the journey with God for a black man or a white man or a white. it's very different. And that's when I really had to start leaning on learning who God was for myself. A large part of learning who God is for myself was when I was introduced to womanist theology and ethics. That was when I stopped centering the teachings of dead <laughs> European men and started to center the stories of living black women. Well, Jesus wasn't white. And wasn't. <laughs> and if we actually integrate that into how we speak about Jesus and what is taught about Jesus, how could that actually change the theology and or our just relationship and our self-view with who God is? Yeah, like we were talking about earlier, so many of us grew up with these renderings of God as a white man. And so as black women who, for all intents and purposes, are the opposite, quote unquote, of that depiction, then how do we learn to see the divine in ourselves? That's why I love the work of Dr. Christina Cleveland. She wrote a book called God is a Black Woman, where she literally travels around the world and documents all of the images of the black divine feminine. 
I mean, black Mary holding a black Jesus. That would help us to see us as holy, even in art. And then when I think about language and how important that is, so much Christian language is male dominated to the point where we had to contort ourselves to see ourselves in scripture. What do I mean by that? You know how the King James Version always be like, as a man thinketh, so is he, right? Or my brethren, I encourage you. And we always had to be like, well, we know that they're including women in that. One of my favorite Hebrew Bible scholars, Reverend Dr. Valerie Bridgman, does this exercise with her seminary students. On the first day of her preaching class, she goes around the room and she says, who here has brothers? And so people raise their hands and she goes around and she's like, tell me your brother's names. So we were like Tom, Dick and Harry, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, whatever. By the end of it, she'll be like, now, of those of you who spoke, how many of you have sisters? And of course, people would raise their hands and she'd be like, why didn't you say their names? And the students would say, well, you didn't ask me about my sisters. She's like, but I thought brethren included women. So we know it doesn't. (laughs) Right. And so we have to be very intentional about how we see the divine and how we talk about the divine. And recognizing that the Bible is a step. The Bible is knowledge and power. It is not the only thing that will help shape your theology because you then live life and those life experiences that you have with God begin to shape your own theology. So what are the other things that we can use? You know, we have the Bible, but also there are other works that support how we're living. I believe that poetry is a sacred text. Music is a sacred text. Dance is a sacred text. Because once you decolonize all of that and you liberate it, then you're like, how we express ourselves is godly. And so I'm thinking about Toni Morrison, Bell Hooks, Nikki Giovanni, you know, a whole host of Black women who created pulpits in their prose. I agree with you 100%, LaVon, because I think at the end of the day, look, when we didn't have a text, we expressed our love for God in a song, a dance, a move. A hum. Mm -hmm. That is what we do. If you can't say nothing, wave your hand. You know what I mean? Like, that's who we are. And I think the best theology is the one that celebrates the truth of who God is and the truth of how God uniquely designed you. Yep. Who you are, your gifts, your gender, your ethnicity, your culture, uh, the beauty of who you are, your personality, your dreams, your spirit, all of that. All of you. That is who God has created you to be. And so today, woo, mm-hmm. I'm excited. It's testimony time, y'all. Woo, woo. And today's testifier is Dr. Yolanda Pierce. She is a scholar, a writer, and a womanist theologian. She currently serves as Professor Andine of the Howard University School of Divinity, and she has written several books, her newest being In My Grandmother's House, Black Women, Faith, and the Stories We Inherit. I'm ready for this, y'all. Let's hear from Dr. Pierce. Mm-hmm. My name is Dr. Yolanda Pierce, and this is my testimony. For me, growing up as a Black church girl, a preacher's kid also in New York City, there was sort of a gradual awakening about the fact that I was raised with a lot of legalism and the repercussions and consequences for being raised with that legalism. They kicked me out of the children's Sunday school class because I had questions. 
I kept asking, well, why does it matter whether or not my skirt is this long? Or why does it matter if I go here or do that? Sometimes they were answers and sometimes the answer was just because that's just the way that it is. And that wasn't satisfactory to me. And so over time, what I had to figure out was what worked for me, what I wanted to keep and continue from my tradition, and also what I needed to discard in order to be healthy and whole. And that doesn't mean that I didn't love the people who raised me and taught me about faith. It just meant that I finally had come to a place where my own wholeness and well-being and sense of the sacred and the holy, that was more important than anything. I remember when I first got to college and I had made up in my mind I wasn't going to church anymore. I do remember being afraid like, oh no, is God going to punish me? What's going to happen? How will I be judged? You have to come to a place where you're okay with your uncertainty, your questions, and you let go of the fear. For me, that really began to happen in college and in graduate school where my relationship with God really shifted. That I was like, I have unbelief. And I felt in my spirit, you know what? That's okay. Bring your doubt and your unbelief. And there wasn't a lightning bolt that it burst into flames or anything like that. And I was like, oh, there's a God who loves me so much that even when I struggle, there's a God saying, no, I still got you. There was this moment where I realized that how I understood God was through a vessel of a Black woman's body. I was in college and we were having a conversation about Toni Morrison's Beloved. And the larger conversation was about enslavement and, and Black women and the true case of Margaret Garner, an enslaved fugitive Black woman who chose to kill her child rather than her child be returned back to slavery. I'm in a classroom with largely white people who self-identified as Christians and all they could talk about was this Black woman's sin. And all I could see were the choices that she had to make that were beyond what any of these white folks could ever know about life and death. And that's when I realized all of this time, we haven't been talking about the same God. We haven't been talking about the same kind of relationship with faith. What it means for me to go through this world in a Black woman's body radically alters how I understand my relationship with the divine. I would tell my younger self that when she was four or five and she knelt at the edge of her little tiny twin bed with her grandmother and her grandmother prayed over her, that that actually was the very action and image of God in the flesh. You don't have to look outside of the beauty of that moment to experience a God who wants to walk with you and talk with you and stay right there experiencing the tenderness, the love, the joy, the comfort, being held and loved because that is who God is. My name is Dr. Yolanda Pierce and that is my testimony. Don't go away. We've got a good fellowship coming up. Dr. Yolanda Pierce. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome, welcome, welcome. But I want to ask you, where did your courage come from to just start asking all these questions? 
I just think I was a difficult kid. I, I don't even know if I saw a model. I was the kid who asked questions at school, um, didn't want to leave school after the bell rang. And so in church, it was really similar. I was kicked out of the kids' Sunday school and sent over to the grown-ups. And I will say, you know, with all honesty, they were so patient and kind with my questions. And I think in part because they were just excited that there was this young kid who was interested in theology and religion and spirituality. You were a mini dean back in the day. <laughs> you were always on the path. Baby, baby, baby dean. I'm telling you, I did not think I would become a theologian. I thought once I got to college, I would leave all of that Jesus religion behind, have a good time. I got there. This was back in the day. You could go to Freaknik. You know, I pledged. I was just going to have myself a good time. But Jesus will come find you. <laughs> We have to ask, which organization did you pledge? I am a member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. Okay, Greek sister, welcome. Thank you. So <laughs> in your testimony, you mentioned a very big moment where you realized that often the Jesus many white Christians know is not the same Jesus that you know. So question is, how does the Jesus you know help you to move through the world in the body of a Black woman? So the Jesus I know showed up in our apartment in Brooklyn. The Jesus I know was my grandmother's friend. She would be cooking, she'd be humming, singing a hymn, talking to Jesus like we're having this conversation. And so the Jesus that I knew was my grandmother, the church mothers, the Black women surrounding me, that this Jesus talked with them and walked with them. So I always knew a Jesus that loved Black women. It wasn't until later that I encountered like this white Jesus. And I was like, oh no, <laughs> no. I mean, this white Jesus, this Jesus of white supremacy, right? This Jesus of wrath and punishment. But that wasn't the Jesus of my childhood. And so I really started to really differentiate, right? To say that that Jesus I encountered in my grandmother's kitchen while she was making biscuits, that is the Jesus who is with me today. Mm. And this Jesus of the colonizing power, this Jesus of all of this strength and might, but no grace and mercy, that was not the Jesus that I wanted. I know that's right. We want the Jesus... With the biscuits and the butter okay. and the honey. Okay. Okay. That's the Jesus for me. <laughs> Here's the thing. I'm I'm at the place where I could have a biscuit <laughs> and some honey right now. <laughs> right now. You know, I love that we're talking about seeing Jesus in these non- church spaces. Like we could argue they're holy in their sanctuaries, but they're definitely outside of the church. And there are also ways to find God outside of the Bible. And you mentioned Beloved being a sacred text for you. What other books or prose did you find God in? This is so important. And this is in part why I'm a womanist theologian, because at its core, womanist theology is about your experience of the sacred and the holy and the divine. And so I was reading Toni Morrison and James Baldwin and Octavia Butler. And I was like, if they're not talking about God, I don't know who is, right? And that was such a contrast to what I had been taught. I was really basically taught that God was contained within the pages of the text, within the 66 books, the, the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, the New Testament. 
And so to encounter a Toni Morrison, to encounter an Octavia Butler, to have a sense of the truths that were being revealed. Mm. Like, oh, you mean there are truths other places? That the Bible is a form of truth, but that truths get experienced and truths can be read and truths can be encountered. It blew my mind and it opened up who God could be. Mm. Because God is big. Oh my goodness. We have a pocket Jesus. Like our culture encourages like a little Jesus you put in your pocket, like you can carry it around because we've made the idea of the divine so narrow. It's just a rule book, like do's and don'ts, thou shalt nots, right? But instead, the mystery of God, the expansiveness, there is a God who helped to carry our ancestors across the water, right? There, There is a God who walks with us. There's a God that gives us discernment at night when we're like, oh no, it don't feel right over there. So I'm gonna go over this way. Yeah. Like, there's a bigger God. And so instead of that, like, personal pocket Jesus that oftentimes white people make in their image, we have to have a big expansive notion of the mystery that is the divine. Mm, I love that. Dr. Pierce, you identified a holy trinity of sorts. Okay, come on with it. Come on with it. <laughs> Toni Morrison, yes. James Baldwin, Octavia Butler. Which of their texts made you ask the big questions? I would say Toni Morrison. I, I was fortunate that I actually had Toni Morrison as an undergraduate professor. And so like actually being in her presence. Wait, you can't just slide past that. Wait, hold on. Wow. I did. She taught for a number of years and did her career at my alma mater, but I had encountered her beloved. She wasn't teaching it. Someone else was teaching it. And so we're reading beloved, which you all know is based on the true story of an enslaved woman who escapes. And when she is almost remanded back to slavery, she makes a horrible decision, but she has to make a decision about what happens with her children. Children. And so people are like, how is that about God? But I believe that God is a God of hard choices, that this God was present with Margaret Garner. This God was present in the writing, um, the fictional retelling of Margaret Garner's story. And that there were some things, for the first time I understood reading Toni Morrison, there were some things worse than death. Mm. That fits into my theology. I believe in um, an eschatological hope that there there is something beyond this world. I have to, I have to believe that because this world <laughs> woo, is a hot mess. And so there's an eschatological hope. And when I encountered that, I was like, oh, what do you mean there are Black women out here writing like this? It shifted everything. Mm. Dr. Pierce, before we switch, for the uninitiated, what does eschatology mean? So eschatology is the theological study of end times, the, the end of the world, the apocalypse, um, heaven, hell, all of the things that we imagine might be after this physical world. Where do we go when we die? Will we be judged? Thank you. All of those questions. And the truth is, is that we have very few answers. We, we actually don't know. All of us just making it up as we go along. Um, but what, what really felt powerful to me about eschatology is a connection to the ancestors, which is that there is still an ancestral presence with us, this great cloud of witnesses. Y'all, I talked to Harriet Tubman. She might not be one of my all ancestors, but I talked to Harriet Tubman because her courage embodies for me what is beyond this life and this world. So that's what eschatology is. I've never made that connection before. Mind blown. Thank you so much. That was so amazing. And speaking of your grandmother, because I love my grandma is one of my favorite people. 
in this world. Of course. And you talk about yours so beautifully, just from (laughs) in the kitchen making biscuits to how she talked to God and how she just had a true relationship and how you saw God in her. What has been one of the most impactful things that you saw from her or even some of the other church mothers growing up that you feel still guides you today? I grew up in a denomination that actually did not and does not to this day ordain women to the pastoral role. And so I basically, you know, got to college and I was taught that the people who are in charge have the power. What these Black women actually taught me is that there have been ways for hundreds of years that Black women have moved in the world with power and authority, even when they whisper. Mm. And so these were a group of elder Black women. They didn't have any special jobs. They had no formal education. Their names weren't on the side of the building. Okay, they didn't even hold the mic on Sunday morning. But I watched them walk in power and authority. Period. And so I think the most impactful lesson that I learned from them is that it doesn't matter who's in charge. It matters who has the authority to lead. And you lead by loving. They loved us and they led us. And so it's influenced me. It's influenced how I approach being a professor, how I approach now being a dean. But I saw their quiet authority, a group of women that on the subway, on the sidewalk, everybody would have ignored. But on Sunday morning, I'm telling you, if they said no, the answer was no. If they said yes, the answer was yes. (laughs) If they said jump, you said how high. They had this power and authority, and it isn't always the person in charge and the person whose name, right, is uh, the CEO or the pastor. Wow. From baby dean to divinity dean, and for the women in your life who modeled authority and grace and love and leadership, I can't imagine a better equipped person to be a sounding board for Black women of faith who are in undergrad or even in seminary. And so how do you guide your Black women students through their moments of theological inquiry? One of my guiding principles is to have them think about what do they want to carry with them into the future and what do they need to leave behind? Wow. And that's a hard question for us. We grew up with a lot of wonderful traditions and I want to keep them. And we grew up with some stuff that we got to let go. Come on, somebody. And so I had a lot of love and affirmation, but there was a lot of legalism. There was a lot of pain. There was a lot of judgment. There was a lot of, her skirt too short. Oh, you know, over there, she Mm. fast, right? So as Black women who do theology, as Black women of faith, we have to decide what do we bring with us and what do we leave behind? And the leaving behind is very, very difficult, but some things we have to let go of so that we can be bigger and freer and more loving. Um, and, And so that's one of the biggest lessons that I'm trying to help journey with particularly younger Black women as they're really working through their faith. So as they work through their faith, is there... What is your biggest hope for young Black women and young girls who want to experience God and faith? And what do you hope that they find? 
It is a spirit of humility that I hope everybody finds because none of us have the answers. We are all seeking, looking, hoping. We're all grieving. We've all been hurt. And so the humility that I want all of us to have is that I was raised in a Christian environment. And so my chosen faith is Christianity. Someone else could have been raised in a Muslim environment and Islam is their chosen faith. I don't really have time to sit with somebody and argue about who's right and who's wrong. That actually to me is folly. What's so important is for me to be humble enough to say, I'm just trying to figure it out like you are. I'm just trying to love myself. I'm trying to love my family. I'm trying to deal with my cousin. I'm trying to you know, make sure that folks are right. And so when we have a spirit of humility, we recognize that we're all on a spiritual journey. Yeah. And from there, we have connections, we have differences, we can affirm each other's differences. But I don't want to get into a debate about questions that are settled for me. People ask me, well, do you think women should be pastors? Like if you still debating that in 2022, that's on you. I'm good. I have moved on. Yeah. So I want us to have a spirit of humility to say, we're just all trying to figure it out and we need each other. Amen. Dr. Pierce. Amen. We need older women to figure it out with us. We need younger women. We can't throw anybody away. Like literally y'all, we can't throw anybody away. We need each other. That's beautiful. Dean Pierce. Preach woman. <laughs> <laughs> As I take my seat. That's my word for the day. The way that you just love who you are and what God has done and how you want to share that with everybody. And I tell Yvonne, I tell them all the time, like, that is my North Star. I love the Lord with all my heart. And what I want people to feel when they're here and when they listen is the love of God. No matter what you're going through, no matter what people have told you, no matter what condemnation has come your way, put that down. That is not yours. The love of God is here. And that is oozing out of you. I believe actually that we're going to have to give an account for our lives, our stories, our wrongs and our rights. But I want to be able to say that I loved everyone I could to the best of my ability. And what I've gotten wrong, I've gotten wrong. And what I got right, I've got right. But I've tried to love. And I'm going to sit with that. That's the best that I can do. That's the greatest commandment, to love God and to love others as you love yourself. So thank you for speaking that word about love. That's beautiful. You done told me up. <laughs> the church is slain in the spirit. I wasn't ready. The sheets are out. The oil. Okay, we're anointing people's foreheads. <laughs> Absolutely. You are a blessing. It is a blessing to be here and bringing you love from the Howard University School of Divinity. Period. Amen. God bless everything you do, Dr. Pierce, in Jesus' name. Thank you. Child, somebody get on the Hammond. We done had a praise break. <laughs> Many thanks to Dr. Pierce. We're going to take a short break, but coming up next, it's offering time. All right, y'all, it is offering time and you may not know, but we do offering a little differently here. Yes, offering time at Sanctified is where we bring affirming words to offer to you. So today for me, Dr. Pierce broke so many things down so well and 
It really blessed me. I think the biggest thing that I took from her that I indeed want to continue to offer to you is not only to move through this world with love, uh, because that's who God is, but that spirit of humility and recognizing that none of us have all of the answers, that we are all on this journey of figuring it out. And if we see things that way and try to operate with humility and love, y'all, we can change the world. That eschatology piece that she made the connection with the afterlife to our ancestors, that was the first time I'd ever heard that. And when I was talking about making your own personal theology based on your personal beliefs and what serves you, that is the epitome of it for me. Even taking these really big, scary, (laughs) you know, $100 seminary words and making them fit your currency, right? And bringing it home, I think that's so, so important. Mm -hmm. And I also loved her reverence of Toni Morrison and James Baldwin and Octavia Butler. You know, I would have to go Sula if I was going to pick a sacred prose text because Sula was a woman who displayed immense agency and like literal don't give a fuckness. Yes. <laughs> As women of the Unbothered Network Ministry, okay, <laughs> I aspire to be Sula's level of unbothered. <laughs> I love it. And then the last part that I'll say for the offering is maybe it's not prose that gets you going. Maybe it's hip hop. Maybe it's poetry. It could be your favorite lyrics from a song that make you feel closer to God. That is okay. It's okay to see God and to create your personal theology from art that moves you. You can do that. Yes. I know for me, a holy hymn of sorts is Lullaby by Tasha. And I would love to read all the lyrics, but I'm going to read my favorites for today anyway. (laughs) And it goes, Black girl, I know how much it hurts to always prove your worth. They won't make it easy, but baby, believe me, your life is precious and you'll be all right. And then she says, you don't always have to be the one to save the world. Mm. Encouraging us to rest and care for ourselves. Tell me that's not God. Absolutely. God rested on the seventh day. Period. Wonderful sisters and maybe some brothers joined us too. Thank you. I pray that you felt something affirming. I know I did. I know I'm walking away understanding more of uh, what my personal theology is and how I continue to grow in God and his love. And I'm so very grateful for Dr. Pierce. And so I hope you guys come on back and get sanctified with us next week and bring a sister friend, a brother friend, a holy friend, a not holy friend, whoever you rolling with, Bring him to Sanctified. And one more thing, because Dean Pierce lit something in me, and I know it lit something in some of y'all. Sis, if you are feeling a call to ministry or seminary, please take this as your sign. Pursue the purpose. Pursue the calling. Get the application. Go see what the requirements are. It's time. Praise the Lord. And if there's anything else that y'all want us to talk about, if there's a subject we haven't tapped yet and you're kind of getting antsy, shoot us an email. Sanctified at unbotherednetwork.com. That is sanctified at unbotherednetwork.com. And let us know what you're feeling and what you want to hear. And remember, as always, LaVon says it every week. You are worthy. 
Sanctified is a Spotify original series produced in partnership with Jamel Hill's Unbothered Network, Lodge Freeway Media, and Exit 39. Hosted by Deborah Joy Winans and LaVon Briggs. From Unbothered Network, Lodge Freeway Media, and Exit 39, executive producers are Jamel Hill and Evan Dick. Head of content for Unbothered is Christina Tapper. Head of network operations is Rich Burner. Creative producer is Ashley J. Hobbs. From Spotify, executive producer is Christina Tapper. Creative executive is Grace Delia. Senior program manager is Jessica Dow. And program manager is Jenna Lonergan. Special thanks to all the cross-functional teams at Spotify that helped bring this program to life. This episode includes original music produced by Cheyenne G. New episodes of Sanctified come out every Wednesday, only on Spotify. So be sure to hit that follow button so you never miss an episode. <laughs>